If you will turn in your Bibles to the 8th chapter, the Gospel of Luke, as we continue our study through the Word. Now, Jesus' ministry, you'll remember, just continued to grow in popularity as he continued to teach about the kingdom of God. And, and he has been going throughout the entire region of Galilee, to every city and town, inviting people into that kingdom. And what does the kingdom of God look like? Well, Jesus, he outlined it there in the Sermon on the Mount and began to teach the values and the kingdom principles and, and was introducing people to the kingdom and inviting them in. As spiritual opposition to Jesus continues to grow, Jesus is going to shift his teaching. He is going to start to teach in parables. And here in this eighth chapter, we are going to have Jesus begin and give us the very first parable Luke records for us. Now, a parable is a story. It's a story now that has embedded in it spiritual truth. And those spiritual truths are oftentimes discerned uh, through typologies. And so one of the things that we are going to be looking at are the various different typologies that Jesus, Jesus uses in the parables and also throughout Scripture. Now, it's important that we understand what's called expositional constancy. It means that in the typologies that Jesus is and creating that once he establishes a typology that typology will always mean that it will only mean that and it won't mean anything else but that for example leaven leaven is going to be a typology of sin and whenever you see leaven and it's used as a typology it's always going to mean sin it's never going to mean anything other than sin it's only going to mean sin so as jesus now is going to begin to teach in parables to understand the parables we have to understand the typologies and what those typologies mean now one of the keys to unlocking the rest of the parables is this first parable and the reason why is because after Jesus gives the parable, he is going to break it down for the disciples and he is going to show them what the typologies are. Having established those typologies, as we then begin to read the rest of the parables, we begin to form a key that shows us what those typologies mean so that we can understand the parables better. We see that this first parable is the parable of the sower, a very famous parable where the farmer goes out to sow the seed. But what Jesus is really going to be talking about is the condition of the hearts. And so we see that he has been looking at the externals of the religious system where the Pharisees and the religious leaders had taken God's law and they had built around it these traditions of man. And Jesus now is pointing everyone back to the internal. It's about the condition of your heart and it's about your relationship with God. Not about your externals, not about performance, not about um, behavior modification, but an intimate, real, honest, transparent relationship with God that you are being invited into. And so Jesus is going to minister to the crowds and unlock the parable 
through this first one that we are going to see. So let's jump into Luke's gospel, chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, and it says, Now it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village, preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with them. So we have the picture again of Jesus just continuing to move about. He didn't just visit the large ones, large and small, wherever he was, he continued to do what? To invite people into the kingdom of God, into eternal life, into a loving relationship with the creator God of the universe. And Luke lets us know that you have Jesus and then you have the 12 apostles that had been selected by Jesus. And so they were moving about. So there's 13 of them traveling together. But Luke doesn't want you to think that it was just 13, that it was only the 12 in Jesus, but also that there were women that were involved in Jesus's ministry. There were women that were equally dedicated to following Jesus, and wherever Jesus went, these women also went as well. And so he identifies a couple of them here in this next verse, in verse 2, and it says, and certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who provided for him from their substance. And so one of the things that you will notice in Luke's gospel is the attention that he pays to the women that were involved in Jesus's ministry and that were surrounding Jesus uh, as well. And so these women had been touched by Jesus. They had been healed by Jesus and their devotion to Jesus was tremendous. In addition, there were those who were supporting Jesus's ministry out of their substance as well. And so Jesus now is moving throughout the region, teaching, preaching, inviting people into the kingdom of God. Verse 4, and when a great multitude had gathered and they had come to him from every city, he spoke by a parable. So once again, now great multitudes, large crowds that had gathered together to be able to hear what Jesus had to say, the words that Jesus spoke, revealing truth, and life, and your purpose for being here, and sharing how much God loves you, and the great plan that God has for your life. And so the people, they left their houses to be able to come and to sit and to listen to Jesus. And I want you to know that we can identify that. Every single one of us here left our houses this morning to come and to gather together for one purpose, to hear the words of Jesus, to hear the things that he had to say about eternal life and about our purpose and about our relationship with God. And so just as we have all left to gather together, they also had left their homes to come and to listen to the words of Jesus. And so Jesus now speaks by a parable. He says in verse 5, And a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down. And the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on rock. As soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns. And the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up and yielded a crop 
a hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So he gives this parable. And the parable of, is a story of a farmer who is sowing his seed. Now, back in Israel 2,000 years ago, every single person would have been able to understand and relate to the farmer sowing seed. The way that farming was conducted back then is they would take and they would till the soil. And then after the soil had been broken up, the farmer would take a big bag of seed and a sack that was thrown over his shoulder. And then he would walk through his fields and he would scoop up handfuls. And then he would try and spread it evenly throughout the field. But there was the wind that would come and would blow seed and, and it was imprecise in its tossing the seed around. And some of it would bounce onto the pathways that would cut through the fields and, and others would bounce around and end up in the stony areas and, and others would bounce around and end up where the brambles and the thorns were as well. But this is a farmer going out. He's getting most of the seed that's going is going into the soil that's been turned up and so jesus gives this picture of a farmer sowing seed and then he says he who has ears to hear let him hear and then he stops and the disciples are like what he's like do you know what he was talking about he's like yes a farmer sowing seed they're like no there's not he means something by this this isn't just a story about a farmer Go ask him what he means. Like, I'm not asking him what it means. You, you go ask him. I asked him last time. This is your turn now to ask him. And they're like, no, let's Rochambeau for this. Okay, you, it's, you, it's all you. And, and these were the conversations that were happening in the back waters of, uh, of their relationships with one another. Because look at the very next line. And it says, and then his disciples asked him, saying, what does this parable mean? One of the disciples, whoever it was that lost, <laughs> had to ask uh, here. And so they went and they asked Jesus, okay, we have no idea what you're talking about, Jesus. We're just farmer and seed. And can you tell us what's going on? And, and he said, to you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to the rest, it is given in parables that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Jesus, in the beginning of his ministry with the Sermon on the Mount, man, he laid it all out just plain as day, exactly what the kingdom was, exactly how it operates. But now with all of the opposition that he is beginning to have by the religious leaders that are there investigating, they're decrying him, and they're coming against him, and they're making accusations that his authority is from Satan and all. Jesus now is still ministering to the crowds, but his primary ministry is to the disciples now. He's building them up and getting them ready. He will still continue to teach, but as he teaches, he's going to teach in parables form now and and the reason for that is that god is never going to force himself on you i want you to know that god loves you god is not going to force you into a relationship with him and and he is also not going to force his truth upon you truth is something that god will offer to you 
And if you're interested in it, you can receive that truth. But to the person who doesn't want God and doesn't want God's truth, God is not going to force that truth upon him. And so Jesus now is going to speak and to teach now in parables that will give the spiritual truth of the kingdom, but they will now be embedded within these stories that everybody can relate to. And so now Jesus is going to begin to unlock the spiritual truth behind a farmer just throwing seed down onto the ground. And so he begins now uh, to declare to them. Now the parable is this. He says the seed is the word of God. So here we see now that Jesus is beginning to give us the key to understanding the typologies and to unlock the parables. So whenever you see the seed, whenever you see seed used in the scriptures and it's in a typology. Now, sometimes it just might mean seed, but if it's used as a typology and the word seed is involved, then it's always going to refer to what? The word of God. It's never going to apply to anything else. It's only going to mean the word of God if it's used in a typology. That is expositional constancy. Now that is going to be really important because I believe that probably some of the most poorly taught and wrongly taught passages of the scripture are the parables. And you get into trouble when you do not use expositional constancy. And so uh, here we see that Jesus is setting up now for us this key that we can refer to as we are going to be looking at other parables later on in Luke's gospel. So the seed is the word of God. He says, those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. And so here we see that the wayside now refers to the unsaved person, the, the person now that is being invited into the kingdom of God. And we see that there is a resistance to that truth. It may be that you are witnessing to an unsaved friend and you are letting them know that there's none righteous, that all have sinned and that we don't get to heaven by being good. And those are truths of God's word that you are putting forth, but they're not having any part of it. They're, they, they're not willing to allow that truth to penetrate their defenses. And so you've spoken those words and those words might echo in their ears and they might think about them for a day or two, but then life keeps on going on and they just keep on rolling along. And what happens to those seeds, those seeds are just kind of taken away by the enemy, kind of draws them away from that truth and, and re-diverts their attention to other things. Now, Jesus said that Satan comes and takes that seed away. But yet we see that in the parable, it was the birds of the air. So here is another one of these typologies. Whenever you see birds that are unidentified in the scripture, just the plural birds, and it's a typology, 
it's always going to mean the kingdom of Satan. It's always going to mean evil. It's never going to mean anything other than that. And so here Jesus is defining these typologies. And so we know for absolute certain in the other parables exactly what any of these typologies are going to be. And so the unsaved person resists truth And so that truth now just gets swept away as they keep moving on with their life. We see in verse 13, he says, But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and they have no root. And these have no root, who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. Here we see that these different soils are the hearts of men. And each one of these hearts has a different characteristic. Now, the first person is the hard heart. And so they are resistant to the truth. Their heart is like concrete and truth cannot penetrate their defenses. The second type is a person who's open. But they're open to everything. They're the emotional person. They're the person that gets swept away with the next new fad, with the next new wave of of what is going on. And they hear about the kingdom and they hear about heaven and they are excited and they jump in with both feet. They're at a crusade. Everybody else is going down. They're going down with everybody else. The problem is, is when the next wave comes along, they just get swept away with the next wave. And they're they're the types of people, you know, I tried Buddhism for a while and then I was, you know, into yoga and then I'm into mysticism and now I'm doing Christianity, you know, and now and they keep on jumping around from one thing to one thing to the next thing. And and they're excited about their next thing and they can't wait to tell you about the next thing. And and they're excited about that until the new next thing comes along and and then they're excited about that as well they they hear they move they're emotional but as their emotions swept them into it their emotions are going to sweep them right back out again and there is no firm commitment there is no time for root to take place in their life and so that is the the emotional driven person that lacks that that substance and perseverance into decision verse 14 now the ones that fell among thorns are those who when they have heard go out and are choked with cares riches and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity now in verse 14 we have what we would describe as the carnal christian They're a person that has accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, and they want the things of the kingdom of God, and they've got one foot in the kingdom of God, but they keep one foot in the world as well. They want all of the things that the world has to offer, and they want all the things that the kingdom of God has to offer. They want eternal security. They want to go to heaven. They they love knowing that their sins are forgiven, but at the same time, They want to fulfill the lusts of their flesh. They want pleasures. They want the power and authority of money. They want all of the trappings that the world is offering. And at the same time, they want the things that the kingdom of God has. And so they are caught between these two kingdoms and trying to reconcile and balance. The Bible says that a 
that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. And in their soul, there is a civil war between these two kingdoms that are warring. And because they never choose a side, they live forever on a battlefield that is destitute of peace and safety and security. And what happens is no fruit grows out on a battlefield. And so they, they live their life in this place and torn between the two kingdoms that is not a fruitful life at all. But the ones, verse 15, that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a, a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. And so the, the last heart is a, a heart that receives truth and is willing then to incorporate and respond to that truth. And, and when we build our lives upon truth, you'll remember how Jesus had talked about the wise person that builds their house on the solid bedrock. That solid bedrock is truth. And it is a heart's response to truth that this parable is about the heart that rejects truth, the, the heart that grabs truth and then lets go of it, the, the heart that, that takes in truth and then tries to go where they want to go in their life, dragging truth along versus the person that surrenders to truth and receives it and then builds their life around the truth that is given to them. And, and so we see that, that these are the responses to the truth that is revealed to us in the word of God. Now, man looks at the outward, but God sees the inward. And the question that I would have for you is, what kind of a heart do you have? You see, this is really a scale. It begins with the person who rejects truth, and the other end of the scale is a person who receives it fully into their life, and they're completely fruitful. And then you've got two other hearts that are in between, and that is the, the response to truth that a person has. And today you have a heart that is somewhere on that scale. And here's the issue. God knows where your heart is. The question is, do you know where your heart is? Which would you identify and where are you on that scale? Here's what God's desire for you is. God's desire for you, and the point of all of this is that you would have a fruitful life. That you would have a fruitful life. Now, here's what I want you to know. Out of the four illustrations that are in this parable, three of them had no fruit whatsoever. There was no fruit that was born out. There was only one life that bore fruit, and that bore an abundance of fruit. Now, what is the fruit that Jesus is talking about? You were created by God as a fruit tree, and God's desire for you is, is that you would be fruitful, that you would have this abundance of fruit that would be coming forth in your life. Now, in Galatians chapter 5, Paul tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is it's love. And so what we're talking about is this abundance of love that comes out of a person who is willing to build their life around the truth that God is revealing to us. And so the issue is, 
Are we changing? Are we growing in our lives? What does a successful Christian look like? That would be a fruitful Christian. A prosperous Christian is someone who has a lot of fruit that's in their life. And the fruit is love. Now, what does love look like? Well, Galatians tells us that it's joy and peace and long-suffering and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and and gentleness and self-control. And so here's the question. Are you growing in those areas in your life? It's about the internal connection to God that brings forth this fruit that is in your life. Or Are you growing critical, judgmental, and self-righteous? You see, God's desire for us is, is that the truth would penetrate our hearts and that we would build our lives around it to where we are loving others, to where we are gentle and kind and gracious towards others. So the question that we'd have is, would you say that the people around you that know you the best would say that you're getting better at loving year by year. For there are people that go to church, and do you know what? They've been going to church for 30 years, and they're not loving any better now than they were 30 years ago. They are as cantankerous as they were back then. They pause while they're at church, and then they go right back to being cantankerous once they are back out. I want you to remember that Jesus is teaching this parable about love and fruitfulness right after he had been at the house of Simon the Pharisee. Now, who knew the scriptures better than the Pharisees? Nobody. They memorized that scripture backwards and forwards. How was their prayer life? Well, they had organized prayer. They had hours in the day in which they would pray. And how about worship services? They never missed one. They were offering their sacrifices. They gave their time. They were doing everything. But was there any love coming out of their life? You remember that when Jesus was in the house of Simon the Pharisee, and here is a woman that's absolutely broken over her life, and she is in tears, and, and the tears are falling on Jesus' feet, and she's wiping them with her hair over, mourning over her life and what could have been. And, and here she is just broken before the Lord. And the Pharisee looked at that woman, and all he could see was a sinner. What a great sinner she was. And he judges her. He doesn't love her. He judges her. All of the scripture that he knew, all of the services that he had gone to, all of the worship songs, all of the temple sacrifices, and what does he turn? Rather than loving, he uses all of that scripture to judge her. And not only does he judge her, he then judges Jesus. And if he knew what kind of a sinner she was, no man of God would allow someone like that to touch him. And and he judges Jesus. I want you to know the biggest criticism against the church by the world is that we judge them. Is that we judge them. The question isn't, are you growing in knowledge? 
The question isn't, do you know more scripture this year than you knew last year? The question isn't, are you attending more Bible studies? Are you singing more worship songs? Do you have the car tuned to Christian radio or do you have a bumper sticker? (laughs) The question is this, are you loving more? Is God changing your heart from the inside out? And are you working every single day at loving others better today than you did yesterday? That's what God wants when you're rightly connected to him and his love is flowing into you and you now are being changed by God's love and you now start loving everybody around you. The fruit of the spirit in your life is going to be evidence. They said that they're going to know that you're my disciples uh, by the love uh, that you have, not by the judgment, not by the awareness of what sin is and being able to identify what, what's right and what's uh, wrong. You see, so many Christians, I believe, it's just my belief, but I think that so many Christians are trying to just not be bad. You know, we feel like, here, what are we not supposed to do? And as long as I'm not doing the big sins anymore in my life, I, I am being a Christian. But I want you to know that not doing the bad things doesn't make you more loving towards others. You see, God's not interested in you not doing the bad things. He's about your heart, your relationship with him. And when he's feeding you truth, are you building that into a new life that is around this truth and allowing him to change you radically because he has a plan for your life that will just knock your socks off that is all about love and the fullness of joy that you have in, in loving him and in loving others and, and that kindness and goodness and gentleness and you're not threatened by other people believing different things and you have compassion and empathy and you care for others and their brokenness and, and you're able to just offer everybody a glass of cold water and to be ready to give an answer for the reason, for the hope that lies within you and and you are freer and freer in your relationship with Christ this is this is what God is inviting you into and so Jesus teaches the parable how's your heart how's your heart and here's the glorious thing no matter where your heart is because nobody knows your heart but the Lord and you No one else sees into the soul, just God. But here's the thing, is is that God is in the heart transplant business. (laughs) That no matter what condition your heart is in today, you can ask God for a new heart and you can leave your old heart. We have a collection plate for your old hearts on the way out. Drop it in there. We'll discard it for you and you can get a brand new uh, heart uh, today just by asking God, just by asking him. Just by saying, God, you see my heart and you know which one it is and I want that new heart. I want that new heart. Will you give it to me? And God promises, God promises 
that when you ask him and it's your, his will for your life, that he won't withhold anything that's good for you. And when you're asking for a new heart that's receptive to truth, he will give you that. He will give you that. We see here in verse 16, he goes on, No one, when he has lit a lamp, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed, but sets it on a lampstand that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is secret that will not be revealed. Once again, God is the one that sees your heart. That's the point that he makes. You're not, you're not hiding your heart from God. You might be able to hide your heart from others, but you cannot hide your heart from God nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. And that's what he says in verse 18. Look, therefore, take heed how you hear. In other words, take heed, pay attention to what you're doing with the truth that God has given to you. Are you discarding it or are you incorporating it into your life and now allowing God to rebuild you into the man, into the woman of God that he would have you be? Take heed what you do with truth for whoever has to him more will be given. If you're valuing God's truth, then more is going to be added to that in truth. But whoever does not have, even what he seems to have will be taken from him. Now Jesus continues to, uh, to teach and to preach and his family shows up. Jesus' mother, Mary, and also his stepbrothers, his half-brothers come with him. Then it says, verse 19, then his mother and brothers came to him and could not approach him because of the crowd. They had left their VIP pass at home <laughs> and they couldn't get in to see Jesus and so they, they send word into him that they're outside and could he come out to them? And so this is said to Jesus. And so Jesus uses that as a moment to talk about family, to talk about the reality that God here upon this earth placed every single person into a family. But when we are adopted into the family of God, he gives us now a spiritual family. Your earthly family is temporal, but your spiritual family, that's eternal. And so we are brothers and sisters in Christ and you have been adopted into the family of God. And so he answers verse 21 and said to them, my mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and what? And do it. Those uh, who now are in this relationship uh, with God, we are the family of God. Verse 22. Now it happened on a certain day that he got into a boat with his disciples and said to them, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. And so the Sea of Galilee, the lake that's there, Jesus wants to minister over on the other side and so jumps into a boat. He's got the 12 apostles with them and himself and, and they are heading across. Now, the apostles are made up of a diverse group of men. So Matthew, the tax collector, he's probably not an avid uh, fisherman and, and isn't used to being out on the water. And you have Simon the Zealot and all these others. But four of them 
<laughs> Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, they are professional fishermen that have grown up their whole lives on the, the Sea of Galilee. And, and so they, they know the lake, and they know the storms, and they are experts at commandeering their boats. And, and so they are launching out, they're heading across, and it says in verse 23, but as they sailed, he fell asleep. And there's Jesus just resting comfortably in the boat as they are moving across the water. And a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and were in jeopardy. And so here you have suddenly now this windstorm comes up and the sea becomes violent. The waves become large. And what starts to happen is the waves start to come over the bow of the boat and start to fill the boat. So that the boat now starts riding lower and lower in the water. The problem with that is now it makes it easier for more and more waves to come over that bow. And now they were in danger uh, of the boat and filling and then sinking here in the middle of the sea and of them perishing and it says that they were in jeopardy and so here you've got the these fishermen who realize and recognize the danger that they are in and suddenly now they go and they wake jesus up and they came to him and awoke him saying master master we are perishing we are very close right now to this boat submerging and then sinking out here in the Sea of Galilee. And it says in verse 24, Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water. And they ceased and there was a calm. And he said to him, Where is your faith? <laughs> Where is your faith? I want you to know, I want you to just imagine yourself in that boat for one minute uh, here. You, if number one, if you're not, not a seagoing person, it, it's frightening when a boat starts to, starts to take on water and is getting thrown to and fro. And, and that's one level of fright. But when the captain of your ship, uh, when he's frightened, that's time to get frightened, right? You know, right there is when. And here are the fishermen uh, that are uh, frightened. And and so they, they wake him up and suddenly Jesus stands up and he speaks to the wind and to the waves. And in an instant, the wind stops and the sea is perfectly calm like glass. And you're like, what was that? What is that? What would that be like? Now, it's one thing if the wind just stopped. That in and of itself would be amazing. But if the wind just stops, the water will take quite a while before all those waves start to settle back down again. But for the wind to stop and that water to go like glass at his command, Number one, they were relieved <laughs> because they thought they were dying and now they have just been rescued out of a certain peril that they were in. But it was the way that they were rescued. The way that he speaks to the wind and the waves and it just simply stops. And he asks them the question, where's your faith? Where's your faith? 
You see, they were walking by sight and not by faith. And that was the great challenge. And that's what Jesus is working on developing them to keep their eyes on him. You remember how Jesus had marveled at the great faith of the centurion who told Jesus and sent a message to him, you don't even need to come to my house. Just issue the command and my servant will be healed. And Jesus marveled at that faith. Here's the disciples and they're with Jesus. They've got Jesus in the boat with them. And they started to battle now between their sight this is a really bad storm and this is getting scary oh but we have jesus in the boat but the wind is getting crazy but we have jesus in the boat but the boat is filling with water but we have jesus in the boat and here is this back and forth as they are watching the circumstances and the trial and the jeopardy that they are in increasing and increasing and increasing and they've got jesus in the boat but things are really getting bad and it's like wake up and what happened which one their sight win or did their faith win and their sight won and they freaked out and flipped out and and jesus rescued them but he said hey you gotta be faith walkers you got to be faith walkers. Have you ever flipped out in the midst of circumstances and then everything that you were afraid of, not, none of it came true. God brought you through. The enemy is scaring you with all sorts of winds and waves and, and, and doom and gloom and every type of thing and your emotions right up and there's your faith saying, just trust, just trust, just trust, just trust, just trust, 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 trust. Oh, and then afterwards, you're like, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. Next time, I'm going to trust you. <laughs> you know, next time, I'm going to. And, and believe me, here's the bad news. There will be a next time. <laughs> you will get a next time. And so he's building them up to be faith walkers. And he's building you and I up to be faith walkers. Not by sight. Greater is he who's in you than he who is in the world. And he who began a good work is faithful to complete that work in you. And get your eyes off of the storm that you're in. Get your eyes off of the wind and the waves. Get your eyes off of the water that's filling your boat. And keep your eyes on Jesus. He is the author and the finisher of your faith. He will never leave you. He will never depart from you. If you're in a boat with Jesus and he says you're going to the other side, guess what? You're going to the other side. And you hold on to that and you hold on to the Lord and you hold on by faith and you watch God be God. And God can part the Red Sea with Pharaoh's army racing down upon him even when they were trapped in a cul-de-sac with no way out. He can still the calm wind in the waves when the boat is just seconds away from sinking he is the master at rescuing in the 13th hour and he is dependable and he is reliable and he is inviting you to trust him and to rest in that perfect peace even in the midst of the storms in life and life has scary moments in it 
Life has scary moments in it. But he is the peace that passes understanding, that guards our hearts and, and our lives in those scary passages in, in our life. In verse 25 it says, And they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, Who can this be? For he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. The wind and the waters obey him. And I thought to myself, if the wind and the water obey him, shouldn't we? <laughs> Wouldn't it be wise on our part to obey the creator God of the universe that all of nature responds to and, and to receive the truth that he has? Who the sun sets free is what? It's free indeed. And he's come to set you free to be able to live in harmony and peace and communion and fellowship and intimacy with him. And he's faithful. As we close our study here, I want to draw our attention just for a minute to verse 24 because I love that in verse 24, you know, there, there's a, you know, master, master, we're perishing. And it says, and then he arose. And I like this, like Jesus stands up. And when Jesus stands up, something's going to happen, you know? I mean, when he stands up, things are going to happen when Jesus stands. And, and I was thinking about that. And, and right now we know that Jesus has ascended into heaven and he's what? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And what is he doing? making intercessions uh, for us. And so that's where he is. His posture is seated. But we see him stand in the scripture after he is sat down. We see in Stephen when he is being martyred in the book of Acts. And, and Stephen looks up and behold, the Lord was standing up to receive Stephen. And so how awesome that is. How, how precious is the blood of the saints to our Lord. And he stands up to receive Stephen at his martyring. And, and so we see him stand for that. There's, there's two more times we're going to see Jesus stand in the scriptures. And, and one of that is when he stands up from his seated position there next to the Father and he comes to get his bride. <laughs> and he is going to come at the, uh, for the rapture of the church and, and with a blast of the um, trumpet and, uh, and the dead will rise first and we who are alive will be changed in a moment in a twinkling and we will join together with the Lord and we will return with him and we will all be seated because we're going to sit down at the banquet and table of the wedding supper of the lamb and and we are going to enjoy the fellowship and the communion and the feasting and the blessing of the Lord there at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And, and how glorious it is when Jesus stands up and tells his father, I'm going to get my bride and, and brings us all back. And that is going to be glorious when Jesus stands up for that. But, but then after the marriage supper of the Lamb, Jesus is going to stand up again. And this time Jesus is going to sit upon a white horse. He is going to stand up from that marriage supper to 
uh, to sit upon a white horse. I want you to look at that passage with me real quick. Revelation chapter 19 uh, in verse uh, 11. And, and John the apostle, the same John that was in this boat when the wind and the waves were just silenced, he also is here. And, and it says in Revelation 19 verse 11, it says, Now I saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no one knew except himself. And he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean followed him on white horses and now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron and he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of almighty god and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written king of kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus is going to stand up and mount on that white horse and he is going to come. And that is during the end of the tribulation where the world now has entered into war underneath the, the one world leader, the Antichrist. And when Christ comes upon that white horse, he is going to take the Antichrist and the false prophet and he is going to cast them alive into the lake of fire. And he is going to take Satan that old serpent and he is going to bind him in chains for a thousand years and he will ascend to the throne of David and he will sit upon that throne. He will judge the nations in righteousness and the rule and reign of the millennial kingdom will be upon his shoulders and the lion will lie down with the lamb and the earth will finally know and understand and recognize peace as God had created the world and mankind to live with one another and he is going to rule in that glorious reign here upon this earth and then we will spend all eternity with Christ in heaven where there will be no more tears and no more sorrow and no more sin and no more suffering and no more death where we will spend eternity in basking in the glory of unbroken fellowship and community and intimacy with perfect love where we will know him as we are known by him and the streets are paved with gold and there will be no need for the sun or the moon for the light and heaven will be the glory of God the Shekinah glory will light up heaven and we will have communion and intimacy and fellowship with one another and we will spend eternity basking in the glory and I has not seen nor ear heard nor has it even entered into the heart of man, what God has prepared for us in that eternal state. And these are the truths that the word of God teaches us, that our hearts can either build our lives upon that solid truth and around that the good heart that will now take root and we will become fruitful in our lives as we live connected in eternal life to God, the spirit dwelling inside of us, changing us and molding us so that we are fruitful here in this life, not to judge others, but to love others and to love God. And this is the truth of God's word. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we ask now that you would help 
those truths sink deep into our lives. God, that you would help us to build our lives around those truths. Lord, we ask today for a new heart, a heart that is soft and tilled and receptive to to your truth. Lord, we ask not our will to be done, but your will to be done on earth here in our hearts, in our lives as it is in heaven. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to become fruitful. We ask that you would help us to walk by faith, not by sight. Lord, to keep our eyes firmly and fixed upon you. And God, we thank you and we love you. And it's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen.